Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Sorry, there's cedar in the air. Yes, there is. I apologize for my hacking. Uh, started, uh, Laurie heard this. The, uh, the quote for today, the 12th of December, is from Carl Sagan. And uh, I want to read it again because it kind of fits in with the frame of mind that I had in writing the talk I'm going to give today. And I'll, and I'll say this is the same talk that I, essentially the same talk that I gave on Wednesday, so I already heard <laughs> But I really liked it. So. Me too. You can leave now. <laughs> Carl Sagan wrote or said at some point, we all have a thirst for wonder. It is a deeply human quality. Science and religion are both bound up with it. What I'm saying is, if you, what I'm saying is you don't have to make up stories. You don't have to exaggerate. There's wonder and awe enough in the real world. Nature's a lot better at inventing wonders than we are. So uh, last week we had a gathering at Mercury Hall in Austin. A beautiful place. Um, it was an odd set of circumstances involving a couple of canceled dates because of the pandemic and the fact that we couldn't get our money back and we had to just use the date that was available because they're actually going to tear the building down, clear the site very soon. A terrible loss for Austin. But it was a beautiful day. The ceremony was fantastic. Laurie had provided many bushels of rose petals, yeah. of which we used a lot. And it was a lovely procession, and it was just was the most gorgeous possible setting and a lovely spirit. And then we got together and we had lunch inside. And Delicious food that was provided from local caterers arranged by uh, Ann Lipscomb, who was here before, but had to leave. And, um, and then we got to hear Flint's talk, which brought me to tears, brought several other people to tears. I know it was very beautiful, very heartfelt. And, and because of the way he presented it in his robes, moving so carefully, speaking so carefully. So um, anyway, I want to I want to talk about the date that that happened on. It's December the eighth, which is Rohatsu in Japanese, meaning the eighth day of the twelfth month. Originally, it was the eighth day of the twelfth lunar month, which sometimes happened in January and sometimes in November, or mostly in December. But lunar months move around a lot now. Uh, and in the nineteenth century, when the calendar was regularized. Western calendar became the 8th of December. Uh, and, uh, but, the, but Rohatsu had been celebrated in the Zen tradition uh, as the day marking the enlightenment of the Buddha uh, on the 8th day of the 12th month. Uh, and it's been, it's been celebrated in all those communities ever since at various times, in various ways. And, it, and in other traditions, in the Zen tradition, and Traditions. It's also related to, but different from, the Buddha's birthday. Uh, and there are related stories about the Buddha's birth and his enlightenment and so on. Um, in, in traditional monastic settings and in many uh, Zen communities, I, I know that there are people who, are, who participated in Rohatsu Sashin uh, around the country uh, online uh, from among our. Mother Sangha. 
Uh, it's usually celebrated with a week-long session during which evening sings gradually become longer until the last night dances all through the night, if you can, uh, which is, of course, a recapitulation of the story of the Buddha. He sat through the night. And um, I'm going to back up and, and just say that, the, the, yes, that recapitulates that, but it also recapitulates part of the story of the of the life of the Buddha and his uh, uh, transition to to becoming awake, how, he, how it was that he became awake. Um, so he was born, and his mother died soon afterwards. He was raised by Pajapati, who was his Another, his stepmother, another wife of King Suryodhana. And Suryodhana and Pajapati, later Maha Pajapati, um, decided on a strange path. They decided they were going to shelter this young guy from knowledge of sickness and aging. How this is possible, I don't know, since he would have known that his mother had died soon after giving birth to him. But that's the story. There are other stories in which, at birth, he steps out, lands on the ground, and begins walking around and making a pronouncement, <laughs> including, I am the greatest teacher that, that will ever be. No one in the world is holier than I. At birth. Didn't have to learn how to talk. So, Given that, given, you know, if, if that is true, that he had a lot of knowledge and a lot of capability, which he seems to have lost later on, and had a normal human life of luxury and uh, privilege, and apparently incredibly sheltered, and never saw anybody get sick, never saw anybody get older, until one day he was able to sneak out of the palace. He was a young man, nearly 30 years. And in some versions of the story, he has a wife and a child. Uh, but he sneaks out of the palace and he has a series of encounters. Uh, he sees a sick person. He sees an old person. He sees a corpse. And these are so shocking to him that he does what a lot of people at that time did. And he leaves his home because he adopts a life of homelessness to embrace a path wandering and uh, poverty and uh, serious, serious examination of the qualities of the human life with the, with a goal of overcoming uh, sickness and aging. He was determined to find a key that could end suffering. It, he then went on and studied with various teachers and as part of the process, he explored various privations and ascetic practices, starving himself, restricting the amount of water he could do, doing intense yogic practices, metaphorically warring against his body and mind. And these practices eventually brought him right to the brink of death. He literally fell over in a ditch, almost dead, when a young woman stopped and offered him some food. At this point, he decided. Maybe this is not the right path. He had not found the answer that he was looking for. Uh, he said, well, that, but, but he was absolutely convinced and determined that there was a way that he would find it. He had enough confidence to find it. So he decided to sit in meditation until the answer came. And he, the story is that he sat under a Bodhi tree. Well, a Bodhi tree is a variety. I mean, Bodhi means enlightenment. But the type of tree under which he was sitting is a kind of a fig tree. In fact, it's a very strange tree. It's a banyan fig tree, which is a variety of what they call strangler figs. So it not only puts it, uh, it has a central trunk, but then it puts down roots from its branches that go into the ground and it puts up shoots from its roots that come up. So one tree becomes a whole forest. And so to be sitting under a, a Bodhi tree is not like sitting under a you're in a grove, all by you know, 
just that one trivia is one entity is providing this whole routine. So uh, recently I, I um, offered a weekend uh, retreat with Todd and we talked about koans and we read the book, Nothing is Hidden by Larry Magic. And um, his argument is that nothing is hidden in koans. It didn't work that way for me, but I was really, really impressed with his introduction. Barry Manchet, in case you don't know, is a Zen teacher, lives in New York City. He was a student uh, at around the same time as Penn. At least they had some overlap at the time. Uh, uh, Joko Beck in uh, San Diego, and stayed very closely connected with her throughout her life. Uh, and so Barry Manchet, in his introduction to the book, uh, Nothing is Hidden, writes, the brief story of Shakyamuni Buddha's life, Buddha's life in the transmission of a lamp, he's quoting from a particular source used by the Zen tradition of Chinese and, and Japanese ancestors. Uh, this uh, brief story is a mixture of parable and hagiography, or hagiography, I'm not sure how to say that. Um, that is a story of a holy person about how holy they are. Uh, and from it, it is difficult to glean more than a glimpse of the person who became known as the Buddha. The mythological quality of what passed for biography in those days is exemplified by the baby who proclaims immediately at birth, in the heavens above and in the four quarters of the earth, there is none holier than I. Actually, I can imagine a little baby boy having that. <laughs> this is certainly gloriously going. So Magid writes, uh, talking about the, the tales of the ascetic practices in the ancient literature about the Buddhist life, he says, there's not much in this part of the story that I can identify with or would care to emulate. That's funny. There's a, there's a Zen teacher saying, I don't really like all these stories about struggling against yourself and overcoming yourself, overcoming your desires. He says, I'm going to carry it anyway. Long ago, I intuited that whatever is there to realize about life and death <coughs> is something that is hidden in plain sight. We struggle to accept the truth that has been there right before our eyes all along. Before setting out on this journey of discovery, the young Prince Siddhartha is said to have looked upon old age, sickness, and death for the first time and been shaken to his core, saying to himself that those things, quote, must ultimately be rejected, end quote. And yet, Barry Magic goes on, after all those years of struggle, the essence of the Buddha's realization was precisely that old age, sickness, and death are inescapable that impermanence is the most fundamental thing, not only about our human lives, but about everything in the universe. The intensity of the Buddhist practice was proportionate to his resistance to this basic fact, and the depth of his realization corresponded to the thoroughness of his ultimate acceptance of what had been so utterly unacceptable when he first set out. So in the traditional stories about Rapatsu, there's also lots of mythological overlay uh, that uh, comes into play. Mara, the, uh, the embodiment or avatar of all the attractions of the world and all the, the things that, are, that lead to delusion and ignorance, uh, comes and tries to get the Buddha cap. He sends waves of beautiful women, he sends threatening armies and, and other temptations to try and get him to give up. And finally, Mara comes and asks, who are you to think that you can solve this problem? What gives you the right to think that you can do this? And in the famous story, the Buddha simply reaches down and touches the earth, invoking perhaps the earth goddess, or perhaps the basic connection with 
of life within the whole universe that he, that he has found in, the way, in just the way that, that Gary mentioned has described. That impermanence is fundamental, that we are all absolutely connected through that. Um, and then there's a, there's a version of the story in which that doesn't happen, but the Buddha, as the, just before dawn, the morning star, which is of course a planet, Venus, uh, the morning star rises and the Buddha looks out and says something like, I am that. Or as it's, as it's uh, presented by the modern Japanese teacher, Shoda Harada, Imagine Myers, he says, Harada's version, uh, in, in that version, Shakyamuni looks up at the morning star and says simply, That's me. Um, very magic again. Maybe when you hear the phrase, That's me, you imagine the Buddha proclaiming his oneness, whatever you, that meant, whatever you imagine that is, with the star and everything in the universe. Majid says, I have a different reaction. I imagine him sitting under the tree after all those years of struggling to master his body and mind. Struggling to master the secret of life and death. Suddenly he looks at the star twinkling in the sky and realizes the star has not struggled at all in order to be just what it is, to be perfect, just as it is. He thought, I too am just what I am. I'm exactly like that star, manifesting my nature perfectly moment after moment. And everything in the world, like me, like the star, is fully, perfectly expressing its own nature. Everything in this moment is a Buddha, a perfectly realized being. What a shame not to realize it. What a shame to imagine that a star or any being needs to become something more than it already is. What the star already is, however, is not some platonically pure or eternal essence of starness, but ever-changing. Here's the best part. Perfection and change are not opposites. They turn out to be synonyms. Not only don't we have to change in order to become perfect, that is, in order to become perfect, we don't have to change. Our perfection manifests moment after moment in change itself. The Theravadan teacher Sharon Salzberg uh, has written a good deal along the same line. She says that when she takes refuge in the Buddha, what she means is that she's taking refuge in the knowledge of our shared humanity, that we, like the Buddha, are humans, and that we can, we can have confidence in our ability with our whole being to realize ourselves in a way that is awake, that extends all the qualities of awakeness to our relationships with everyone we know and all the rest of the world. Uh, as Dogen writes in the Eihe Koso Hotsuganma, Buddhas and ancestors of old were like us. We in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors. Revering Buddhas and ancestors, we are one Words in here about joining the procession. I'll scare that. But <laughs> you might want to look up at the next when you see the evening star tonight, after sunset, some morning, and and consider saying what the Buddha said. That's me. So, 1024. Um, I would like to suggest a brief activity. Um, and, it, and it's really framed by the Carl Sagan quote. We all have a thirst for wonder. It is a deeply human quality. Saying is, you don't have stories up. You don't have to exaggerate. You don't have to seek perfection. Amen. There's wonder and awe enough in the real world. 
Nature is a lot better at inventing wonders than we are. So my suggestion is to uh, break up into groups of three, uh, spend a couple minutes sitting together. Uh, each group will need a timekeeper, but literally two minutes sitting together. And then uh, on a wonder that you know of that moves you and share your thoughts on Maybe a flower, maybe the, uh, the way your mind economy uh, worked in your cells, which always lasts me back. <laughs> and, uh, or it may be the fact that our, that the calcium on our bones had to, had to be formed in a supernova explosion. Couldn't be that way. Is that true? Oh yeah. Wow. Uh, so whatever, whatever is a wonder that you know of that matters to you, share that. And then we will come back to the group. So two minutes for sitting, two minutes each for talking, a couple of minutes for reflection and uh, talking in the group. So a total of 15 minutes. Well, welcome back from the breakout room. Should we, uh, could we have a couple minutes for, for discussion? You're the boss. So, okay. So any, if there's anything that anyone would like to share from, from what they shared in the breakout room or, or noticed, uh, that'd be good. I'd love to hear it. We had a wonderful talk here. Can I say something? Yes, hi Marina. Hi. Yeah, I mean, I just shared about my um, my wonder at the waves, you know, and how they just come in and out and continue to do that, almost like um, in synchronicity with the human pulse. You know, it's like I'll go to the beach and it doesn't draw me in. It's more like a... Um, we just meet each other and become still together in that in that rhythm and how it just knows to do it just does it doesn't think about it it doesn't have any ideas about how it's doing it the waves just come in and out and then it retreats sometimes it retreats and then it comes back just like we do retreats again to and then comes back again and it's like the the waves and rhythms are, are the same and it's like when i go to the beach it just I just stop and join the rhythm and join. And I just think it's so wondrous and marvelous how the sea just is and it just continues without us, without anything. It, it just is. And if we just sit with it and join with it, everything can just stop and we can just breathe together. We can just breathe in and out and, and just be. And, and that's where I go. I'm surrounded by three beaches, 10 minutes every every direction from me. So I'll just go to a beach and sit whenever I feel that kind of uh, wanting to meet it and just be just be still. Because sometimes there's a resistance to be still, you know, or to take that 20 minutes in the yard and, or, you know, and kind of noticing that resistance to being still sometimes. But making myself do it even though there's a resistance but just noticing and keeping an eye on that resistance that can keep me busy if i'm not careful you know and really taking time to go to the beach or sit in my yard and that you know the the birds on the roofs and the sea and the waves remind me to just join them just be you know like peg would say be that peach on the tree so yeah that's <laughs> that's my sharing thank you I think I think John would like to say something. Well, both Bill and I were talking about end of life issues and wonder at the same time. Partly I was talking about a friend of ours who's 99 in the healthcare where we live. And we saw the doctor trying to get urge her to drink some stuff so she'd gain some weight. 
and she was objecting and she didn't, she couldn't explain why, but she was objecting. And I saw it as really facing life and death. And, you know, as we said, doctors want to keep doing things to keep you going, but there's a time to just observe the, the, rhythm, the rhythm of life. So that was part of the wonder. And then still looking out at the stars, the stars are there. So they're part of it. I can't be any clearer than that, but that was what it was raising. Thanks, Joe. And I can't tell her children, her daughter who loves her dearly, to just quit trying to get her to do things. Um, my first wonder was how we get connected who 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 comes into our breakout room and th thinking at first we you know we kind of believe one of our delusions is it's random and then remembering that computers the way computers create uh, make choices is with a random number generator or a table of random numbers and and when i taught at smu there was a book of random numbers in the library and it was one of my favorite books and it was just a table um uh, I'm, I'm looking at the floor in the Zendo right now, and our delusion is that all these different um, patterns are are random, where really there's causes and conditions create every every board that's there. Either it's a good season or a bad season, or a tornado came through, or all kinds of things, but it's all there on the floor. So that there really isn't any random stuff. The The stuff Maria talked about in terms of the moon, uh, in terms of the tides, you know, some say is is because of the moon. I, I'm not quite sure the connection, but supposedly the tides and the moons have some connection. But they're certainly not random the way the but we look at them and we can't understand the pattern. So that's interesting. Okay, that's it. My wonder. Bridget, you were next. All right, I'm unmuting myself. Well, both Kathy and I noticed the pattern of the light coming through the window and on the floor of the Zendo. Um, and in our discussion, we, we spoke about the things of wonder. I noticed trees being pushed by the wind and because the underside of the leaves of the sycamores is more white you see this remarkable pattern in a place where I go walking. Um, Nate gave us the, the joy of hearing that his son, who's almost three years old, is the ways in which he's delighting in every little thing in the world. And, and I could identify with that because my 10-month-old grandson is beginning to pull up and explore more. And so it's... Um, it's all there if we take the time to look and see. I, um, we were talking about how our conditioning makes it hard not to see ourselves as already, our perfection is already manifest moment by moment. We don't need to change because that's something I do resist. So it was, it felt good to be with them. And, um, you know, we all struggle to accept the truth that's been there all along, but it's helpful when we finally recognize it. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, we can have these realizations and then lose them. Uh, but luckily the, the, the Buddhas and the ancestors have laid out a path of many, many options of ways that we can choose among to help us be awake more of the time and more fully awake all of the time. That's a lovely thing for me. Well, let's close. I, I'm sorry, is there a- Yeah, uh, Rosemary. Rosemary's, pardon me, I'm sorry, I couldn't see Okay, that. that's, a, that's okay. Um, 
Yeah, so, um, well, I just had one that came up just at this moment, and that was for um, this path that we're on. Um, and um, what what opens for us, you know, all the time, you know, when we're together, when we're not together, when we're reading, when we're sitting. Um, and um, it's just so vast and, and uh, wondrous. And uh, um, as we um, stay increasingly open, open to it all and to the moment. Um, and um, I think I think I'll keep it with that. Thank you. And I think I, I just wanted to add just to close that um, I think nature and the wonders remind us that that space is always it's not something we create. It's always open to us. We just have to stop and drop into it. But it's always available. Yeah. Um, one comment. Uh, Peg had someone come to the Zendo years ago and uh, talk about wonder. And he has, uh, at that time, a child of about four, a daughter, and he, they named her Wonder. And I'm, won I'm wondering <laughs> if, if anyone remembers who that was that came, because I can't remember his name. Thank you. I'll ask Peg. All right, well, let's close. Thank you so much for sharing and for your presence and your wonderful open hearts. Thank you.